Good morning, Coastal. Great to see you. Man, get your note sheet out. Follow along with me. Uh, We are probably, I haven't counted exactly, probably about halfway through our series, Go Coastal. And um, and so uh, we really, really push all of us to be in a small group. I hope you are. Taking notes prepares you for your small group. If you're not yet in a small group, it's not too late, okay? Go get a small group guide. Get in one. Take, do the final four weeks together with us and, and uh, be in a small group. We really want to do this in community. What happens in small groups, we take the sermon and we unpack it and we apply it, uh, discuss it, and, and talk about, man, how does this affect our day-to-day lives? And so really, really, and we pray for one another. We help one another in small groups. So be in a small group, okay? It's not too late, and uh, this prepares you. And so the next couple weeks, um, what we're going to be looking at, so we've kind of set the foundation of evangelism. We're trying to, been, trying to teach you guys that we are a part of the mission that, of taking, we're missionaries, essentially, taking the name and fame of Christ to our community and our sphere of influence. And, and, uh, and so now what I want to do is take the next couple weeks, and we're going to look at how Jesus interacts with people people that are not yet his followers. And then what does he do? How does he talk to them? What does he share with them? And then, so this will help equip you as well and see how Jesus interacts. I, I could probably <clears throat> title the back end of the series, uh, Jesus Sharing Jesus, okay? And uh, how did he do that? How did he share his name and fame? And so, and so we're going to look this morning at Luke 18. So if you have your Bible, get that out, Luke 18, verse 18. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's probably one in a chair in front of you. Uh, and if you don't own a Bible, take that one with you, okay? We'd love for you to have a copy uh, of the Word of God, and especially if you'll read that on a regular basis, and and so take that one with you. And so this morning, we're looking at a passage, and and the word you're going to hear over and over this morning is heart posture. I think when we're sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, we, we want to be aware of the posture of the heart of the person we're talking to. We want to be aware of our own heart posture, and, and uh, the gospel has... Uh, kind of comes at, uh, you know, different aspects come at our hearts at different angles based on what our heart needs to hear and be challenged with at that time. And so this morning, you know, this this story is as the rich young ruler, and that's what we're going to look at this morning uh, in Luke chapter 18. And I don't know, maybe maybe you're better than me, you've never done this, but have you ever done something for someone that you loved, but you you did it begrudgingly, right? Have you ever done that? I, I've certainly done that. Um, my, uh, my, my wife, um, get, uh, you know, uses our, her cell phone to get us up in the morning, right? That's now our alarm. And, and uh, I mean, if you're still using the old, you know, eh, eh, God help you, okay? That's a horrible way to get up in the morning, you know? I mean, she's got this cell phone, and it's got a pleasant ring to it in the morning, and it wakes us up joyfully. And, uh, and so she, she takes care of the cell phone and the alarm each morning, and it wakes us up. And, but on occasion, as um, we're kind of going to bed at night, we're slipping between... The, by the way, this is the best sleeping weather, is it not? Like, this is the kind of weather, like, you just want to keep sleeping. I noticed the 8 o'clock service was a little light this morning, and I don't blame them, okay? And so uh, I wanted to sleep into it. So it's just perfect, and, and you slip under the sheets, and it's that moment where the sheets are cold, but you're beginning to warm them up, and, and then you get to that place as you're falling asleep that you're not yet asleep, 
but you're almost asleep and you're aware that you're falling asleep and it's, it's, it really is one of the simple pleasures in life, isn't it? You know, and man, and I, you know, I have a Tempur-Pedic bed. It's amazing and I love my bed, okay? And so here we are and you're in bed and all of a sudden my wife, as I'm in that moment, there's a, she doesn't do this often, but on occasion she will just say out loud, I left my phone downstairs. I never know why she says that. Why does she say that? I, okay, you know, so, um, no, why does she say that out loud at that moment, right? She wants to see if I love her the way Jesus loved this church. That's why she does that. And, uh, and so at that moment, I know I, I have one of a, a handful of responses. Someone after the service, last service, gave me another response that I'm going to add, right? So, you know, one, sir, one, one response would be, Okay, and roll back over and go to sleep, you know, get to that place that I was just at, you know, and get back there, and that's one response, and this was the addition some church member gave me. They said, you could just pretend you're asleep still, all right, and I was like, oh, you pulled that one, huh, and uh, it's another response, and third response would be to get out of bed and go get the phone, but do it with a terrible attitude. You know, noises under your breath kind of thing and kind of stomping as you go so everybody in the family knows the level of sacrifice that you're making for the marriage, right? And that's another response. That's all too often my response. Um, and then there's the fourth response that, man, you understand when God's blessed you with a great spouse and my wife is awesome and she gets up early every morning, gets the kids out the door to school. She keeps our house running. She is an amazing, amazing woman. Our, our house would not run nearly as smooth without her. And understanding the gift that God has given me and my spouse, that God has given her to me to make me more like Christ, and she loves Christ, and she loves me. I head down with joy and love in my heart, and I bring that phone up enthusiastically. And lay it by her bed saying, here you go, honey, right? Four responses, two indifferent, one begrudging, and one with the right heart posture, right? And so this morning, what I want to talk about, we're going to talk a lot about heart posture, and we're going to look at a guy named, uh, that you would know is probably the rich young ruler. He's a young man, and, and the only reason we know he's rich, and he's young, and he's a ruler is if you bring in all three of the Gospels, okay? So Matthew, Mark, and Luke all bring in a different aspect. It is Luke that tells us that he's a ruler, that he has authority. And, and the reason is that, that you understand the title of this man and why it's important is, I mean, by earthly standards, he has it all. He's youthful. He's got his whole life in front of him. He's got responsibility. He's got authority. There's people that work for him and serve him, and, and, and he's wealthy. And so he, by earthly standards, would be the kind of guy that you look at him, and this guy's got everything. He's, he's Jeff Bezos, right? I mean, everything. He's got it all, and, and yet he knows that there's something off in his heart and in his life, and, and so we find him coming to Jesus and asking Jesus a question, and, and he, he comes to Jesus and he says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Now that's an incredible question, right? I mean, I mean what he's asking is, how, how do I get to heaven? What do I need to do to be saved? 
How do I have eternal life? I want you to imagine for a moment that you, over the last four or five weeks, have really engaged with this series, and God has been transforming your heart and your mind, and, and you have been doing the thing that we, the leadership, have been encouraging us as a church to think about. You started week one, man, you've been praying for some folks in your life that are in your circle, your sphere of influence that may not know Jesus. You've been praying for them. You've been diligent several times a week praying for these people. And then you heard the message on urgency, man, and God stirred your heart with, you know, man, heaven and hell, eternity is in the balance for every single person we know and, and how they respond to the gospel. And, and, and so, man, you've, you've kind of the sense of urgency is amped up within you. And then Pastor Andrew's sermon of go, like we got to go. We have to take, we have to leave our comfort zone, leave our house, leave our, all that's comfortable. We got to go. We got to take them in. Maybe you've done that this week. Maybe over the last couple of weeks you've done that. You've kind of stepped out of your comfort zone tried to begin a, a spiritual conversation, and, and maybe you've even been equipped. You've taken some of the equipping that we've given you. How do you share the gospel? What does a person need to know to be a Christian? You've maybe even entered into some spiritual conversations over the last couple of weeks, and, and maybe a person didn't come to Jesus, but maybe they, during these conversations you, you said, hey, why don't you come to church with me one week, and, and maybe I uh, just want to set this, set this picture, and so you invite this friend that you've been praying for and working on, they finally come to church, and after the sermon, they're stirred by the Spirit of God, and they, they look at you, and they say, man, I, how do I go to heaven? And you say, you know what, let's, let's go talk to our pastor. And so you take this person and just ask the question that you've been praying for, and you've been going, and, and, and you bring them up to me, and you say, Pastor, my neighbor, I've been, we've been praying, and they came this morning, and it, here they are, and and they have a question for you, and they look at me, and they say, listen, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? How do I go to heaven? And I look at them, and by the way, when that happens, in that moment, what would you, what would you expect me to say? What would you be hoping that I would say, right? Hey, you got to lead them to Christ, Right? What would you say, man, what would our pastor say in that moment? Would, would you expect me to say, well, listen, you need to accept Jesus into your what? Into your heart, right? But what if instead of doing that, I looked at your neighbor, I looked at your friend that you've been praying for, you've invested in, I look at them, and they just ask me, how do I go to heaven? I look at them and go, you know what? Um, you look a little overweight. Gluttony is a sin. You probably should stop eating so much, Right? What if I looked at them and said, yeah, listen, here, here's what I'm serious. All kidding aside, like if you don't lie and you honor your parents and you don't kill anyone, if you do those, like you should be fine. How would you feel in that moment? You would probably schedule a meeting with one of the elders at Coastal and say, man, our pastor has got some issues, right? So by the way, before you stone me, it's exactly what Jesus did. It's a fascinating answer that Jesus gives to this rich young ruler. He comes and he says, I want to know, I want to talk about eternal life. I want, to, I want to talk about eternal things. And what's he doing? He gives rules. And you might be sitting here like, I thought the message of salvation was by grace alone through faith. Like, I thought it was a free gift. I mean, what in the world? Why would we give a bunch of rules? 
And so now the question is, where, where do we begin to start in sharing the gospel? And I think where we start with a gospel presentation oftentimes begins with us understanding a person's heart posture, okay? So that's your first blank, a heart posture of a person. And so what Jesus is doing with the rich young ruler is he begins by trying to get this young man to contemplate the character of God, and in particular, and I wish I had this in your notes, so write this alongside, in particular, the holiness of God. He's trying to get the rich young ruler to contemplate the holiness of God. And I think this is really important in our culture because I think where we start usually with a gospel presentation in American culture, when we start with the gospel is this, and you've probably heard this saying, right? God loves you, and he has what, church? Some of y'all know this. Has a wonderful what? Plan for your life, right? Have you ever heard somebody? God loves, and so, yes, God does love you, and he loves you in Christ, but that might not be the starting point. And the second part of God has a wonderful plan for your life, again, and he does, and he's a God who gives us abundant life, and he gives us joy, and he does give us purpose, but, but ultimately, well, if that's the beginning of our gospel presentation, what does that make the gospel about? You, right? It's about you. And you being happy and you being fulfilled, where I would suggest that ultimately the gospel is about God, our creator, who has saved us because he's merciful and he's kind and he's gracious and he's loving. But man, he's also holy and he's just. And so check this out in Luke chapter 18. It says, and a ruler asked him, he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, now, so Jesus pauses, he latches onto this, this address that he gives him, good teacher. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Jesus is starting with you to understand the gospel. You need to understand God and his holiness and his righteousness. God's not just good, he, he's perfectly good. He's perfectly holy, he's, he's perfectly right. They're, they're, his character is such that if sin were to be in his midst, it would be consumed immediately. And so if you're a sinner, that means you, you would be consumed in, in the presence of God. And I think, especially in American culture, one of our big problems in our culture is deep down, if you really push us far enough, we really do think we're basically good. I mean, we, really, like, we know we mess up, but I mean, come on, I'm not as, you know, we kind of look laterally. Like, I'm not, and you, by the way, wherever you are in life in the, on the obedience to the righteousness of God scale, you can always find someone doing it worse than you, right? At least in your mind. That's why we talked about hell a couple weeks ago, right? And I said, where do we like to draw the line in hell? Well, everybody on that side, this side's safe, right? Who deserves hell? Remember what we talked about? Everyone. Why? Well, because we've all violated the holiness and the righteousness of God. And, and so deep down, I really think we're good, right? And we do this with our kids, right? We know our, like if our kids are acting like rascals, what do we say? Well, I know they have a good what? All right, they have a good heart. I, I think what we mean by that is I love my kids no matter what they do, 
right? And that's true, and we should do that, and I do that, you know? And so we love our, as parents, listen, as parents, and for those of you not yet parents, you younger folks, like, when you give birth to your kid, well, my wife did that, uh, so I just showed up, and so, like, when you have this kid, it's like, whoa, like, your heart just immediately goes to your kids. It's unbelievable how much you love your kid, you know, and, and as they grow into teenagers, there's times where you don't like them very much, but you still love them, right? And you're like, man, these are great. I'm just kidding, you know. It's all, teenagers are doing great things in our church, and and uh, but 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 we do our kids and we do our culture no service by uh, by saying hey you know what we have a sinful and wicked heart and that's why when it comes to evangelism as parents when I when I park on a on a point at Coastal out of a text on parenting I will say man the first place to start with your evangelism is at home share the gospel with your kids let them know that their heart is rebellious against the things of the Lord and they have to know how to be saved from the penalty of their sin through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what we see Jesus here with this rich young ruler is to try to wake him up to his real condition before a good and holy God. And so he starts with, hey, understand that there's no, no one's good, right? Oh yeah, I got that. And so the next thing that Jesus does, answering the question, What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? What does Jesus do? He holds up the mirror of the law of God. That's what he does next. And and so he he essentially holds up the Ten Commandments. So when I'm talking about the law of God for the rest of the sermon, I'm talking about the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments are given to Moses. And so he holds up the mirror and he says, well, you know the commandments, verse 20, Don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't lie, honor your father and mother. So he, he, he does, uh, uh, how many is that, five of the, of the six that are dealing with how you deal with humanity, right? And he says, do these things and you should be okay. And verse 21 shows the ignorance of this man towards his own heart. He says, all of these things I have kept from my youth. What's he saying? I'm basically good. I'm basically good. And by the way, there's a kind of a false teaching running through Protestant churches. I suspect it's from maybe a misunderstanding of Romans chapter 8, verse 1 and 2, where Paul writes that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And, and so because we're Christians, the Spirit has set us free from the law of sin and death, Romans 8, verse 2. And so I think a lot of people talk about, to see those two verses and go, man, we're free from the law. No, the law is good. The law of God is good for us. And it serves several purposes. And one of those purposes is for us to know the character and the demands of God. In the Sermon on the Mount, what is Jesus doing? He's, he's essentially running through the Ten Commandments and making and, and applying them both, not just to like these ten rules, but applying them both to attitude and motive and thinking. Like, it goes deeper than just, you know, this, this, and this. And he's doing that. He says, man, if you ever looked at a woman in lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. He, he's taking it a step further so we really understand the impact of the law. And by the way, when we become a Christian, the Spirit of God indwells us, and now we're capable, because God's Spirit lives in us, to 
become and to begin to be molded more and more into the image of the Ten Commandments so that we can keep them, so we can sing out, and here I am to worship my art is captured by God in Christ, right? We sing that, and so, and so we're molded. So the law is good. What we've been saved from by the grace of God through the person and work of Jesus, we've been saved from the penalty of the law. When we become a Christian, the law demands perfection. When we don't keep it, we deserve the judgment and the justice and, and, the, and the penalty of the law. We have been saved by that, by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? And so that's what Romans 8.1 and Romans 8.2 is talking about. And so the law of God's important. And it keeps us from comparing ourselves to one another. Well, at least I'm not as bad as. What Jesus is trying to get this man to grapple with is where his heart is. Because here's the deal. He can't accept Jesus into his heart until he knows what kind of danger he's in under the character of God. And so a lot of times in a gospel presentation, man, we're, we're passing off Jesus and because their heart posture is, a person's heart posture is so proud and still thinking, oh, I'm basically good. And we say, man, you just got to follow Jesus. And so now Jesus just becomes kind of this wee little savior, kind of a little tack on into our life. It's some, maybe fire insurance to make sure everything's good in the next life. And what we're supposed to do is meditate on the law of God and go, I am a broken train wreck. And I need a big savior to save me from my mess. And this man's so far from that, if we just offer him, believe in Jesus, he, he's not ready for that yet. He just becomes a tiny, wee little savior. Just one more thing to add into his perfect little life. And so Jesus is trying to wake him up. No, you, like, it, it's bad. I was driving here this morning, listening to Christian radio station. I don't, I don't even know the name of the song, but during the song, it was, the chorus of the song is talking about how we walk like giants and we walk like lions. And I get it, and I don't want to be overly critical, but I'm also like, no, 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 you're not the hero of your story. Jesus walks like a giant. Jesus is the lion of Judah that say, he's our superhero. And as long as you think you're basically good, Jesus is just a tack on. But man, it's not until you realize, man, I am a wretched, broken, rebellious mess left to my own. I will never do what God wants me to do. I will do it my own way. It is not until we come to grips with that by reflecting on the law of God that we go, I need saving, Right? And so Jesus is trying to wake this man up, but he still doesn't get it. Luke chapter 18, verse 21, he says, what's he say? He says, all these things I have come, I've kept from my youth. He did not understand his sin. Listen, here's how bad, here's how bad sin smells to God. Because God does love us in Christ and God created us to be in relationship with him and he, he created us to be in a position that we, that there's purpose, John 10, he's come that we might have the abundant life. He doesn't want us to suffer. A couple weeks ago, I went through kind of the yoked thing. He doesn't want us yoked, all these things that drag us down and are burdensome. He set us free to be yoked to things that give life and hope and purpose and joy, okay? He, he really does love us, but you have to understand that our sin smells so bad in the nostrils of God for us to have that freeing, loving, awesome, joyful, purposeful relationship with our Creator through Christ that God had to wrap His Son in flesh and send him to earth and then he he suffered 
one of the most horrific deaths ever known to man. And so when we look upon the broken, bloodied, beaten body of Jesus Christ, we're supposed to look at that and go, that's how much God hates sin. That's how much God hates my rebellion. And then when they laid him in a grave, the consequence of the law's demands, which is penalty and death, Christ overcame. And the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives inside of us. And Christ raised from the dead, authenticating his claims as being the Son of God, the Messiah, and also giving us the hope that death does not have final say over us, giving us the hope of eternal life. We have to come to grips with our sin and our rebellion so that we can really see our need for a Savior. And so now Jesus cuts to the heart of this man's life and he really hits at discovering his heart posture. And how does he do that? He combines the first commandment with the tenth commandment. So the first commandment, man, you're only supposed to worship God and God alone. And the tenth commandment is you shouldn't covet, right? And so he takes these two things, he combines them. And so in Luke verse 18, verse 22, it says, When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven and come and follow me. And so he says, man, just get rid of everything. You're going to have an eternal reward. Follow me. And so what happened, what's going on here, and by the way, this, this passage oftentimes I think it's a little bit mistreated, right? It, a lot of times if you've heard this passage playing before, you've heard it preached in such a way it talks like it's kind of sometimes applied to wealth. Like, I mean, give it all away. And, and by the way, wealth is, is not a bad thing. The Bible doesn't say money is a bad thing, right? I've, I've heard this in secular songs out there, right? That, uh, the, you know, I've heard it said money is the root of all evil. It's not what the Bible says. What does it say? It says the love of money is the root of all evil. It's what has your heart, And by the way, in the rest of this passage, Jesus goes on to warn us of the dangers of wealth because wealth is an easy thing to get in your heart. And you hold on to it really tight. But but Jesus is not saying wealth is bad. Uh, You know, if you're here and you're, if you're a member of this church, just so you know, like the members of this church have committed to living on 90% of their income so that 10% can support this local church. Why? Because it's a, it, they're funding and fueling a gospel outpost here in Yorktown, right, where, where the gospel goes forward. Money is a good thing. It can be used for great things. It's a, it's a wonderful resource, right, if we use it to be generous and honor and worship God with. And, uh, you know, I remember I was thinking about this this morning. Just, I think it was just about two two and a half, maybe three years ago, we were finishing up our building campaign where the members of this church in an 18-month period raised a million dollars over and above their regular giving. So you could be sitting here right now this morning, right? Because they had the vision of this place being full of people here in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So these are people said, money doesn't have me. I want to, I, God blesses me and I give it away for the good of the kingdom, okay? So it's not that, you know, because if you read this at face value, you could come away getting kind of the idea that, man, Jesus is talking about buying our way into heaven, right? Like kind of give it away and it's all good. No, he's talking about, man, what has captured your heart, right? So when we sing, here I am to worship, I hope you're understanding you're singing about the first commandment that, man, my heart is captured by the gospel of Jesus. I'm here to worship you, God. And listen, all kinds of things can capture your heart. 
surely money is an easy one. That's it's man because money can in some ways provide things and you know make your life easier, safe, soft, easy, and comfortable, those kind of things. And so man, it can easily capture your heart. But but man, there's you know you can be dating someone right now that's leading you away from the things of the Lord, and they've captured your heart in a way that it's an inappropriate relationship because. Christ is not the center. You, you could have your reputation having captured you. You're just so worried about what people say about you all the time. And so you're always running around like trying to somehow guard your rep- reputation. of this. That's the end-all, be-all. And that's somehow captures your heart. Religion can capture your heart. Or you're running around being spiritual and doing all the church stuff. So hopefully people see and notice and go, man, attaboy, you know. And, and one of the ways you can tell if that's really captured your heart is when you don't get any attaboys, you become embittered by all the things you're doing. Right, I'm doing my thing. No one's giving me an attaboy. Well, maybe your heart's been captured by by the wrong things because the Bible in First Corinthians 15 says God sees and God rewards. Right? Maybe it's being successful. Like, man, that's captured. You're a workaholic because, man, I just want to be successful. Or maybe it's getting revenge. Maybe there's somebody in your life that you know you were victimized by, and man, you just so like all you you're consumed by throughout your week is getting revenge. In fact, it's some, maybe it's even subtle, and you don't even always know it. There's kind of this subtle anger in your life. And, and it's because, man, I'm just consumed by getting revenge. Or maybe it's getting high again. There's just another high. I'm, I'm getting drunk or some kind of addiction, you know. Or maybe it's getting to the internet where you can indulge your flesh with a sexual sin. And you're, it's just captured your heart. But what Jesus is trying to get to here with this man is really the heart of the matter. It's the heart and the heart posture. And that's why in verse 23 of Luke 18, it says, but when he, the rich man, when he heard this thing, heard these things, he became very sad. Why? Because he was extremely rich. And so he was rich, and what, ha- what had captured his heart was riches, right? And so in verse 24, then, we come back to the original question. What's the original question? Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God because it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? By the way, it's a fascinating question. If I were to read through the rest of the text, you'll see that the apostles, probably Peter, he, he's interested in this question. He actually says, we've left everything to follow you. Why would he ask that? Well, Peter was probably not that poor. He was probably well off. He was a fisherman. He owned a business. He probably did pretty well, right? And so he's kind of going, well, wait a minute. We, who can, you just said it's easier for a cam, you know, camel go through an eye of a needle than to be set hard for wealthy people to be saved. I, and by the way, I think this is one of the, you know, if you were to push me and say, Pastor Sean, what do you think are the core sins of our American culture, I would say it's probably greed and sexual sin is what's really a challenge to this culture. Now, we're generally not a generous people. I know Americans can be generous, but man, I, I don't think we live in a, you know, we, anyway, that's another sermon for another day, but um, so I do think that this, this passage has some relevancy for us. I think it's the reason, one of the reasons we don't see the gospel spreading like wildfire in American culture when it's spreading like wildfire all over the world is we, our hearts, we have to check, are our hearts really captured by wealth? Right? If I were to preach on money today do you, and you, you're a Christian and do you leave here going, man, I, that really bothered me. Why? 
Right? I think part of it is, man, we're captured by wealth. And so, and so Jesus here, and now verse 27 is, so who can be saved? Here's the answer, it's in verse 27. So verse 26, those who already said, then who can be saved? Verse 27, but he said, what is impossible with man is what, church? Possible with God. Now, in, in two weeks, I'm gonna share a story of a rich man that becomes a follower of Jesus, right? And so, and it's, it's, it's kind of in juxtaposition to this passage, so I think you kind of see this, this dichotomy of the two, what, what, what are we talking about here? Well, we're talking about heart posture. What's the heart posture look like, right? And so what I want you to see is, here's what we're gonna end with this morning. We worship the God of possibilities. We worship the God of possibilities, all right? What's, impo- what's impossible with man is possible with God. What's Jesus talking about? He's talking about spiritual rebirth. And we, we saw this in John chapter three, right? Where Jesus talking to Nicodemus and Jesus answered and to Nicodemus talking about spiritual things. And, and in, in John 3, 3, Jesus said, truly, truly. And by the way, whenever you're reading your Bible and you see the word truly, truly, or maybe some of your older versions say verily, verily, it, I, want you to, I want you to think of the times where Pastor Sean gets really loud and he's talking so fast you don't even know what he's saying. Like, it's like really pay attention to this, okay? And so that's, that's my truly, truly. This is Jesus' truth. Like, I really want you to hear this truly truly he said i say to you unless one is born again he cannot see the kingdom of god what's he talking about he's talking about with man it's impossible with god all things are possible it is god who does the spiritual rebirth and we see this in john 3 6 where he says that which is born of flesh is flesh that's the man thing. That which is born of spirit is spirit. It is God through the power of the Holy Spirit that rebirths a heart. And once the heart is rebirthed, then a person is able to understand that it's not doing that earns God's favor. It is done that earns God's favor. It is what has been done for us in Christ. The message of Jesus is not do. The message of Jesus is not even accept Jesus into your heart. That's half of the message. The actual Mark 1 message of Jesus is repent and believe. Repentance carries with it a side of dealing with sin. I'm a sinner. I need to turn. I need to acknowledge my sin. I need to turn from my sin. My sin needs a payment by God Himself. And believe. It's the trust in the gospel. It's the trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's the trust that Jesus' good works, His law keeping, if you will, have been credited to us by grace alone through faith alone. We don't earn eternal life, it has been earned for us. And when the Holy Spirit awakens us to spiritual things, we're able to repent and believe, and the good works of Jesus Christ, the perfect works of Jesus Christ, are now credited to us by grace through faith. So here's what I want to encourage you with. As we're going and we're sharing the gospel and we begin to talk spiritual things with people, one of the things I want you to begin to become aware of is heart posture. Heart posture of a person. Listen, if a person is broken by their sin, and there's a heart posture that's shame, man, my sin is shame, and I, like, I, just, I, don't, I don't even want to talk to you about it, man, I'm just so burdened by my sin. 
And by the way, these folks are, are usually the folks that um, the culture is also shaming them. These are the cultural shaming sins where it's natural. Like, man, I, I did this and like everyone around me thinks I'm a worm, you know, the worst of the worst. Well, when you're dealing with this person, listen, what piece, which way do we want to lean with the gospel? Listen, both pieces, repent and believe, are incredibly important. But when you're dealing with the person that's already humbled and broken by their sin, what do they need to hear? Jesus loves you. Jesus paid for your sin. He, on the sin, as, on the cross, as far as the east is from the west, your sin is forgiven and it's forgotten. It's been taken care of by Jesus. And when you believe in him, his righteousness becomes your righteousness. Like you're clean. You're free to go. And by the way, God does have great things for your life. He, he doesn't want you to settle for playing in the mud puddle. He wants you to go, you know, do all that he's created you to be. You can do all the things that God has created for you to be, to walk in the good works that he's prepared for you in advance to walk in. Ephesians 2.10, right? You're his workmanship, and you're his artwork, and he wants to display his glory through your life. That person needs to hear the believe portion, yes? But a proud person, and by the way, I, I think this is the bulk of Americans. It's why I spend so much time on the holiness of God and repentance and my teaching and preaching, because I think we tend to wrestle with this piece, the proud person, the rich young ruler. What does he need to hear? He needs to hear repent. He needs to hear law. This is the expectation. He needs to hear holiness. The, the proud heart needs to hear righteous judgment is coming. A proud person needs to say, look, if you're going to follow Christ, count the cost. That's the whole piece about get rid of your money and follow me. Like, there's a cost to following. Don't just come willy-nilly. Jesus is an attack on. Like, if you're going to follow Jesus, he gets everything. A proud heart needs to hear that. A proud heart needs to count the costs and consider that portion of the character of God. But both people should come to the place of, I need saving. I need a savior. I am not the hero of my story. Jesus is the hero of my story. Jesus is not attack on. He's not one more thing. He's everything to me. And so as we present the gospel, we're considering heart posture with the goal of at the end, you need a savior and his name is Jesus. He's the one and only way to reconnect to your creator and know the fullness of what God has for you. And so I want to encourage us, church, as we're talking and thinking and praying about evangelism, hopefully doing, hopefully going, hopefully we're not just sitting idly anymore. Maybe, hopefully we're walking out of these doors with encouragement. Man, I'm, the, sharing the gospel is always on my mind. I'm praying for, I'm looking for those opportunities. And here's the good news. Here's why we open the doors to our church. Here's why we, we, we gather corporately. Here's why we 
preach the church, preach the word. Here's why we encur- we're encouraging you to do evangelism. Because of verse 27, we worship the God of the impossible. Our God is still in the business of spiritual rebirth. All things are possible. God is still in the business of changing people. We don't know when, we don't know how, and we don't know who God is going to use. But God is still changing people. Isn't that great news? By the way, this, this God, we, we worship the God of the impossible. Anybody remember? We talked about it last year. Anybody remember last year? Actually, this year, January. We talked about January and February. Anybody remember the story we talked about? It's where we first see this idea that God is the God of the impossible. It's with Abraham and Sarah. Remember? They couldn't get pregnant. Angel shows up and says, you're going to have the baby, the child of promise. They laugh. Is anything, anything too hard for God? Is anything too hard for God? So where does Jesus latch on to the same concept? You know where he latches onto it? In conversion. In a person becoming a Christian. That's where he latches onto it. I think a lot of times, you know, we take that concept and we apply it to all kinds of things. Listen, the greatest miracle is not a physical healing. It's not something that you're hoping for some burning bush experience. The greatest miracle is when a heart that is in dead rebellion to the things of God repents and believes in Jesus. That's the greatest miracle. And I want us to long for that above all so that people not just see some miraculous magic show, but that people would be saved and have eternal life. That's the greatest miracle. Jesus latches on and says, this is a miracle. We serve the God that's still changing hearts. And by the way, the Great Commission is bookended with the power of God. See, I think we go out and do evangelism thinking, man, I'm kind of out here on my own. You're not out here on your own. The God of the universe is with you from beginning to end, and he is working, and he's doing what by human nature, uh, uh, John 3, 6, the flesh is only flesh. He's doing the supernatural, the spiritual thing, that as we share the gospel, people are having eternal life. Great news, yes? So let's share the gospel. Let's share the gospel with an expectation that we still have the God who does the impossible. Have you ever, we're going to finish with this. We'll close with prayer in just a moment. Okay, have you ever, you ever gone to a store or a business? Not many stores do this, but some do. You go to pay for something, you hand them your 20, and they take your 20 and they do this. You ever been there? What are they doing? Why are they doing that? What are they looking for? They're looking to see if it's a counterfeit. You're holding a fake. Every time that happens, I get nervous, right? Like, it never even dawned on me I might be holding a counterfeit, right? I guess when the green ink came off, I should have known something was up. But, you know, like, it never dawns on you. And I've never, they've never handed it back to me, but, like, what would they do? Maybe some of you know. Like, do they confiscate it? Do they give it back to you? Hey, this one's no good. I hope they give it back to me because I'll just go to the store next door. Anyway, so um, you would too, all right? Don't judge me. You would too, all right? Let me tell you something. Some of you right now are holding a counterfeit. You're holding a counterfeit. You're going to stand before the God of the universe, and your life's going to be examined. What's he looking for? looking for? 
He's not looking for good. Hey, God, I, was, I, I held car doors, and, you know, I gave up the better parking spot to the little old lady, and gave a few bucks here, and I, started, I, changed, I, you know, I changed diapers, and they're like, he's not looking for good. What's he looking for? Perfect. He's looking for perfect. Some of you, man, you think you're going to get in the presence of God, and he's going to hold your life up, and you're going to say, man, I was religious. Some of you are going to hold your life up and you're going to go, but, that, but God, that's what I believed. I believed that. It was different than what your word said. Some of you are going to hold, he's going to hold your life up. Man, I was consumed by athletics. I was consumed with making money. I was, you know, he's going to hold you up and you're going to be examined. And the day that your life is examined, you better be found perfect in the presence of a perfectly holy God. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? That's what the rich young ruler asks. What do you need to do? What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Keep the rules perfectly perfectly. Don't stumble. Don't lie, because if you lied, you're a liar. You're capable of lying. Or, you better be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So your perfection is not your own. You don't need a tack on Savior. You don't need a little bit of Jesus. You need a superhero Savior that when you're held up, God sees the perfect law-abiding keeping of the Ten Commandments, Jesus Christ, credited to you by grace through faith. Perfect. Not by your works. By the works of another. By the works of another. The message of the gospel is not doing. The message of the gospel is done. Jesus has done it for us. And so when we acknowledge, man, exactly who I am, I am a sinner, I am rebellious, I am broken, I need saving. And when we acknowledge, God, you have sent your son, Jesus. Keep the law's demands perfectly. Substitute a payment that my sin owed. And rising again, that I have the hope of eternal life. We repent and we believe the perfectly lived life of Jesus is credited to us by grace alone, through faith alone. So I want to finish with a question. Where's your heart posture today? What's your heart posture today? And by the way, this is for believer or unbeliever. Maybe you've never accepted Christ. What's your heart posture? Maybe you're here as a Christian, man, and sin has crept in and pride has crept in. What's your heart posture today? Because even in the process of sanctification, we daily feast on Christ. I am not the hero of my story. Jesus is the hero of my story. Jesus is the hero 
of your story. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for sending your one and only Son. I mean, you, we talk about generosity. You, you gave, you're the one who gave it all. You, you did empty the bank account completely and gave your very best gift to us. Your son clothed himself in flesh, and he, he kept every single one of those Ten Commandments perfectly. Incredible. And then he suffered, and he died in my place that my sin and my rebellion could be paid for so that you're both the God who is just and the God who justifies. And then they laid him in a tomb, and death could not hold him, man. He came back to life that I know that in Christ, I too have the hope of eternal life. Jesus, you are my Savior. And if you're here this morning, you don't yet know Christ, your prayer can be that simple. I repent of my sin, I call it what it is, and I believe that Jesus is who He said He is. He's my Savior. Thank you for that hope. Thank you for giving us purpose and joy found in Christ and in Christ alone. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.